I've been reminded, as all of us have been reminded, about Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is probably the greatest football player of the last four years uh, that, there's, that there has been. In fact, uh, arguably, if you hear some folks talk about him, one of the best college players of all time. But there's something about him that is admired that goes way beyond the gridiron, isn't there? There was something that's admired by his, his teammates who might not even be Christians. Something admired by uh, his opponents, his coaches. He is highly respected. Yes, it is because of his faith, but it's something beyond that. We see other Christian athletes, which when interviewed after the game, they'll thank the Lord or thank God for their talent or this or that. And some will go so far as thank the Lord Jesus Christ. And, but there's something about Tim Tebow. There is a depth of commitment there that is very admirable, so admirable that it's almost magnetic. It's magnetic to his other players. It's magnetic to sports writers, even sports writers who, who like to pick out the flaws of somebody. It's like Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy, uh, one of the greatest football coaches, NFL coaches, in Tony Dungy's uh, first book, called Quiet Strength. His second book is called Uncommon. How appropriate. When you think of Tony Dungy or Tim Tebow, there's something, there's something uncommon about their faith. And it's their depth of commitment. They're willing to do, they're willing to say whatever needs to be done or said. They're not ashamed they, uh, they kind of live with the Lord. They, you know, character, character can be defined many ways. In one sense, character is who you are when you're alone. In another sense, character can be defined who you are when you're not alone. There's something about Tony Dungy and Tim Tebow. And, and Tim Tebow's a young man and he's the center, as is Tony. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got a lot of years ahead of him that he's going to have some temptations, but uh, I don't want to set him up that far. But for my point here, there's a depth of commitment that all of us wish we had. There's a sense of that character that when you see Tim Tebow, that we wish that we had. This morning, I'm going to talk about our quiet sin. Our quiet sin, one that's not mentioned very often. And when it does come up, we don't like to talk too much about it. And you'd think, uh, you know, when I preach, uh, you know, infrequently, I'd pick a nice, easy, feel-good subject. But I thought I'd talk about our quiet sin, Sabbath observance. Well... Sabbathing, and, and the first thing you're saying is, I'm safe, I'm here at church this morning. <laughs> I'm doing it. Lord, I am safe. Sabbath observance. I, I think it's important that we see what God says about the Sabbath. It's something that we don't talk about, and 
And probably the reason we don't talk about it, in fact, the only time I've ever heard it preached, I've heard it preached really two ways. One, more from a biblical theological perspective. What is the Sabbath? Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath day's rest. What about changing the day from Saturday to Sunday? as the New Testament Christians did. Jesus rose on the first day, so they changed the worship day to Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday. Is uh, the Sabbath made for man or man made for the Sabbath? All those, uh, all those uh, questions which are good, but that's not the approach I want to take this morning. The other way I've heard approach is just the, the legalistic side, the list of don'ts. Don't watch TV, don't watch Football games, don't go to a restaurant, don't, don't, don't. More from a legalistic standpoint. Uh, but I'd like to approach it. Exodus 20, verse 8, says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I'd like for us to think about how we're doing with that commandment. Obviously, we're doing, you know, at least somewhat good, the fact that we're here on the Lord's Day. We could have just rolled over in the quilt this morning, slept in and just kind of read the paper and uh, had a nice morning at home. But you're here because you do love the Lord, because the Sabbath does mean something to you. I'm hoping that this message will be a reminder to some of you, but a challenge to others of you about the Sabbath. Maybe we can take one small thing, maybe each one of us take one small thing from this message that we can apply to our Sabbath observance to help us to make it even holier than we've made it so far. Let's first of all talk about the three types of law in the Old Testament. There's the ceremonial, the civil, and the moral. The ceremonial law deals with all of the offerings all of the cleansing, all of the, the offerings. And if you do this, then you must uh, sacrifice this or that. And, um, and all of those, uh, all the ceremonial law, all the offerings, all the cleansing, they all pointed to when the spotless lamb, the once for all offering would come. And Jesus did. And he died on our sins. He is the final offering we do not need to uh, adhere to those cleansings. We don't have an altar. We don't sac- have, have any more sacrifices. Jesus, uh, Jesus paid it all, perfectly fulfilled the ceremonial law. The civil law in the Old Testament was when Israel was a nation. And as a nation, when they were traveling around, they needed certain laws, certain civil laws. And so, sure enough, God gave them Uh, civil laws and what to do if your ox gores my ox or this or that. But we are not a nation. Israel is not a nation anymore. We're as Christians, we're not a nation anymore. We don't, we don't adhere to the civil law anymore. So that leaves us the moral law. The moral law is the 10 commandments, the 10 commandments. I mean, uh, you know, God's the first one that came up with a top 10 list. And, uh, and, and this is his top 10 list. And we know some of them, but probably all of us would be a little hard-pressed if we took a quiz right now to write them down. But the first four commandments deal with our relationship to God. 
And the next six deal with our relationship to our fellow man. And it's the fourth commandment that talks about remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to try and think about what Jesus said about it and how we can apply that. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, it says that Jesus came to fulfill the law, the ceremonial law, but he also came to establish the moral law. So much so that he emphasized it and he even extrapolated it when he said, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. I tell you that if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. You've heard it said that you should not commit murder. I tell you, if you've been angry with your brother, you've committed murder. Jesus emphasized it. And then Jesus goes all the way and he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now we get into a little bit of a, a, a tricky area here. And that is that we are saved by faith, saved by grace alone, right? By grace alone are we saved. And yet, we do have responsibilities. As we have children, they have responsibilities. It doesn't affect our love for our child when they misbehave. But there are times your children need to be disciplined. There are times they need to own up to their responsibilities. And so must we as God's children. God didn't give us, uh, the Bible is not a track for salvation. It's a book for how to live life. And uh, when we need to be uh, disciplined, he tells us that. It's a little bit awkward what we do with guilt in the church. I, uh, I really, I'm, I preach primarily, at, well, or pastor preaches, Jeffrey, motivation by encouragement. I'm, I function better with encouragement. Just give me a pat on the back. Uh, and I bet most of you do too, whether it's from your boss, whatever, rather than just, uh, you know, come down on you. Most of us function better with encouragement. But there is a place for guilt from God. God gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has, has many functions. Once we receive Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and one thing he does is he convicts us of sin. He convicts us of sin, and and I'm glad for that. And sometimes I need to really be hit over the head uh, even a little harder, and maybe you do too. So if there's there's guilt that you feel, uh, you know, in church, during a sermon, or when you're reading God's Word in a Bible study or youth group, whatever, you have to say, "Is is this guilt coming from God? I would say that about Sabbath also. Because what I want to say, I want to, I want to talk about our responsibilities. Let's first of all talk about church. Well, a few weeks ago, we had 25 people join the church. And I was sitting back there in my pew. And, um, you know, and I was just uh, proud as I could be. Just kind of a proud grandfather back there and uh, I you know there's a lot of pride that's sinful but there is some pride that uh, is not sinful 
And I was just so proud. And then I realized that we've taken in 100 new members this past year and the year before and the year before. For the last five years, we've taken in 100 new members a year. And yet, our attendance has not grown. Well, why is that? Well, there are probably several factors. One, people leave the church. People, just as people will leave the church and go to another church, just as many here left another church to come here. And there are other reasons that maybe people uh, don't come. Maybe, maybe, they're, maybe they're real legitimate reasons like uh, illness or out of town or giving birth. <laughs> those, are, those are legitimate reasons for skipping church. There are some reasons that are just plain, you know, selfish, aren't there? Just plain selfish. God says in Hebrews 10, 25, he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is this habit of some. In other words, what he's saying in Hebrews, he's saying there are some, some believers who are forsaking the gathering together. The staff did an uh, analysis of, uh, uh, of church attendance, and they were very concerned. And, you know, you can think, well, I remember this person left, and this person left, this person moved, and these people went to another church. But you can't come up with very many. So the staff did an analysis of the church membership. They went through the whole uh, roles and figured, figured this thing out. They found out that the average Orangewood member only attends church twice a month. Only attends church twice a month. And again, they can have uh, uh, legitimate reasons, but some, they just, there's just something else going on. There's something else that takes its place. And my friends, I think this goes deeper, and I want to go a little bit deeper with you. It's those who are home in bed that probably need this more than you do. <laughs> They're snuggled up in a quilt. But, uh, but next week when you're tempted to uh, stay in bed, if you're uh, in that cycle where it's your half of the month, <laughs> part of the problem is our view of church. More specifically, our view of worship. The biggest problem in churches in America today is that we've become man-centered and not God-centered. We've lost our, or we're losing our theocentric purpose. And it becomes egocentric. In other words, What's in it for me? I'm going to church and it's, what's in it for me? Will, will the music be uh, to my liking? Will they sing my songs or, or, or the sermon? Or, you know, I wonder if it's going to reach me or who am I going to say? What's in it for me? My friends, the whole point of worship is that we're to give God a blessing. 
We're to give God a blessing. We should have the definition of worship, or one definition, is worth-ship. We come here every Sunday morning to ascribe worth to God and to praise Him. Even if they don't sing uh, our favorite songs, even if Jeff's uh, sermon uh, doesn't uh, particularly relate to us, it shouldn't mean that we have a bad worship experience. Now, I don't want to negate for one minute that we come needing a blessing or negate that we want a blessing. I want to be blessed every week. But that's all got to be secondary. It's all got to be secondary. Oh, God, this should be. You are an audience of one. Sometimes we, we find ourselves, we come into church, and uh, we just kind of, Cross our arms in front of us and, okay, entertain me. We've got a stage. We've got worship leaders, musicians, and they can be thought of as entertainment. But my friends, the truth is, there's only one audience. And it's audience of one. It's God himself. And we need to be on the lookout as we... Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. As we come to church, we're coming to worship. We're coming to worship God, not to get a blessing. Oh, I hope I do get a blessing, God. But first and foremost, God, what can I give you? Oh, God, let me give you my heart. Oh, God, let me be reminded of my blessings this past week. Let me be reminded of what you're doing for me and for my family. Oh, God, even through my tears, God, let me worship you. I'm really... um, I know that Jeff and uh, Jack and our musicians, they work hard at this. And it's not easy because we live in an entertainment capital in Orlando. So, so we already come with a little bit of, a, uh, of an idea uh, like that. Uh, you know, uh, well, it's not consciously to entertain us, but we need to be re- reminded What's in it for God, not what's in it for me? Let's talk about kids for a minute. Somebody asked me um, uh, recently, um, they said, uh, tell me how Orange was doing. And I was telling him, and, and I said, uh, I think Orange was doing pretty well. Certainly not a perfect church. They got a bunch of sinners over there. But I said, you know, God seems really blessing and a lot of neat things happening and working on different things. I said, but you know, there's an awful lot of things that are going, uh, there are a lot of things that are going on over at Orangewood that I don't even know about because I don't have kids right now. My kids are grown. The kids' ministry and the family ministries of this church is unbelievable. It's unbelievable the effort that's being put into families and children and, and from, I mean, I, I, I hope everybody has had an opportunity. Uh, if you're like me and don't have children in the nursery, take two minutes and walk down the hallway, the new hallway, and take a left and just look at, those, at the walls on the nursery, the exterior walls. You don't have to poke your head in the nursery. It will be it for you to poke your head in the nursery to hear some of the things going on there. But, uh, but look at the walls. The walls, there are the most beautiful murals painted on all of these walls. It's just fabulous. We had somebody uh, that toured the building as soon as it was open and said, oh my goodness, look at these walls. Said, who'd you have do this? In fact, we had 
this company do something like this at our church, it cost $20,000. We said it was three of our teenagers. Three of our teenagers. When you go down there and see it, it's really impressive. But from the nursery to the children to the O-kids, the O-kids that come every, uh, every Sunday at 5 o'clock and sing and practicing, you know something? It's inconvenient to bring them here. And it's kind of a sacrifice. And yet, when our kids were in the womb, we prayed to God to give us healthy kids. Then we brought our kids to baptism. We prayed all these things for baptism. We were going to bring our kids to God's house and keep them with God's uh, people. And, And then, you know, things slide along and life gets busy. Gets busy for our kids. Gets busy for kids. And, you know, it is inconvenient having kids. I mean, it's inconvenient and they're expensive. And, uh, and for those of you who have younger kids, let me tell you something. It doesn't get any less expensive. Isaiah 53. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, and if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please, then you will find the joy of the Lord. My friends, there's a place that we need to uh, ratchet it up a minute. And say, you know, I, I need to make sure I examine this. But there's some other easy areas. What about, um, or when I get into the kids and the Sunday school and, and the youth group and, and from Zach and Chip with the teenagers and B.A. and Sarah Jane, all of the myriad of helpers and the people that are planning for your kids to have good worship and good instruction. I think another easy way is to bring our Bibles to church. Bring our Bibles to church. I know it's so convenient to have it on the big screen, isn't it? It's so convenient, and boy, I like that convenience myself. And, uh, but somehow or other, I think that, I think it pleases God. I just think it pleases God. The Bible is what he went to a lot of effort to give us, and he went to a lot of effort to preserve for us, and I think it's good that we read our Bibles and probably for a number here, you might not read your Bibles at home. Well, without talking about that, let me just say, grab it on Sunday morning. Bring it here. And, and, and if you can't find the, the, the reference, Jefferson, he says, turn to Ephesians 5. Look it up in the table of contents. I especially want to encourage you men to do that. You men, I'm telling you, <clears throat> we men are basically lazy spiritually. <laughs> Amen, ladies? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I say basically lazy spiritually. Uh, we'll take the path of least resistance. If you give us an opportunity, we'll take or the path of least resistance. And I think it's important, men, that, um, that you bring your Bibles. 
Did you bring rivals? Just because I think it's God's word and I think God is pleased with you, but I also think it's a good role model for your kids. If not your kids, the kids that sit behind you. I think it's important that kids see men that are interested in God's word. I didn't have that experience growing up. My father, uh, uh, we, we went to church, but it was, um, it was rough. It was rough, and my dad didn't really care about it. He never said anything, but he said a lot by what he did. By his, he went, and he sat there, and he fell asleep every sermon. And, um, and I just became convinced that the church and Christianity was for women and children. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for the priority we have here at Orangewood on training men, training everybody, really an emphasis on training men. And, and uh, you know, the band of brothers on Thursday morning and really, uh, men, the opportunities we have here to grow in Christ, uh, I think it's just remarkable. I really encourage you guys uh, to avail yourself of that. Bring your Bible. Let somebody else uh, see. Let your kids see. Uh, you know, if I would have seen some other men in the church I grew up with, maybe I would have seen some other men. I wonder, wonder why they're reading that dusty old book. And then I found out why a few years later. I'll tell you, Jeff, almost every Sunday, he thanks us for coming. And there's something about that that I'm just a little uncomfortable with. And I'll tell you why. Um, it's not because of Jeff. The reason Jeff thanks is he's just a grateful guy. He is really motivated out of gratitude. I love having a pastor that's a grateful man for everything. But we shouldn't have to be thanked to come to church. My friends, this is our church. This is your church and my church. Oh, no, I don't. Don't correct me biblically. The church belongs to the Lord. Jesus is the head of this church. But Jesus has gone to a great extent to give us local churches. And once we find a church where God wants us, and we join a church, and we take vows, we say, I'm going to support this church. I'm going to be here. And rather than come on Sunday morning and cross our arms across our chest, say, okay, let's see. Let's see if they're going to thank me for coming. I'm doing them a favor. My friends... No, we should be thanking Jeff. Not Jeff. He's up front too much. He gets too much credit. (laughs) We should be thanking all those other folks who go to a lot of effort so that you and I can worship on Sunday morning. The musicians, it just doesn't happen. They have a whole other night during the week. They give up doing their own thing. Just to rehearse for what? Just for worship. Just for your worship and my worship. That's the only reason they're doing it. Uh, what about the, the, the people that set up? I mean, Jim Johnson, Gene Helton, all the people that come in Saturday afternoon and set up all the chairs. They're doing it for you and for me. We've got to elevate uh, church attendance twice a month. My friends, the highest thing we can do on the Lord's Day to obey this commandment is to worship. There should be nothing that gets on our way. 
I hear people say, well, we had family in. We had visitors overnight. That doesn't cut it with it. Bring them. Bring them. And if not, come without them. Say, you know, our lifestyle, I've got a depth of commitment. Our lifestyle is we go to church on Sunday. We'd love for you to come with us. You, you love your church. You know, we got this pastor. We got, uh, we, you know, it's a great church. We'd love to have you come. Be proud of your church. I'm very proud of this church. Again, hopefully that's not a sinful kind of pride. But, uh, but we need to think, how about the people that set up communion once a month? They kind of appear and disappear. You never know. You, you don't know who they are. But they're silent saints and they're doing it for you. And they're doing it for me. The people that help in the nurseries. What about all the parkers? The parkers. A day like this is a little rough. What about those days in the heat in June, July, and August? I mean, those parkers. And they're only doing it for your worship. They're only doing it so that we can have a positive worship experience so we can praise God. I know it takes sacrifice. I know it's not as convenient to attend church sometimes. It's not as convenient. I haven't even talked about Sunday school. But Sunday school, how important it is. This is the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour. Remember the Lord's day and keep it holy. The opportunities we have for your kids. We should thank, we should thank our Sunday school teachers. You know, they spend time. They spend time every week preparing a Sunday school lesson for your child. Twice a month. Or those adult teachers that prepare. And they pray for us when they come. Oh, my friends, it does take sacrifice. But you know something? The only reason we have a church is because of a sacrifice. It's because of a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. And he tells us he wants us to live in a way that has a depth of commitment. A depth of commitment so that we are who we are before a holy God. And we take our responsibility seriously. And we take even our quiet sin, that path of least resistance, seriously. My friends, may God be pleased with each one of us today, on this his day, that we might be doers of God's word and not just hearers only. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you for, thank you for your day. Thank you for uh, today, Lord, just a, a day that we, we see your creative hand in this weather. And as cold as it is, yet all of these have gathered. Because, Lord, this is, uh, this is our church. We're to be good stewards of this church. And thank you for these here, God, who, who are serious about your holy day, who are serious about worship, who really want to make sure that you are front and center in worship. God, I pray for those here who might uh, find themselves in the other category, that there needs to be something that they need to do, that they do need to ratchet it up just a notch. And uh, what that might be, God, I pray that Sunday would take a priority in worship. And even if it's... uh, being inconvenienced by coming early for Sunday school or, or an evening uh, session or kids' stuff. 
that they would um, they'd be willing to do that. Now let's all take just uh, 60 seconds or so of silent prayer. Let me ask, has God spoken to you this morning? You've heard his word. And he says that we're to be doers of his word and not just hearers only. Is there something that you can talk to the Lord about? How are you doing with this? Talk to him about how you're doing this, just silently. If you want to make a commitment to him about some of the little things we've been talking about, maybe, uh, maybe do that. Let's just take just a few moments of silent prayer where we respond to him. Thank you, Jesus, for this day, for this church, for the way you bless us, especially on your day in this church every single week. And yet, God, we come to give you a blessing. We thank you, God, for all of those silent saints who prepare for our worship every week. God, give them a blessing today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.